Do you experience every emotion, but don't know how to express it? Us either. Learn with us as we go. We love pink, learning too much about random things, and trying to make the world a better place. If we were pageant contestants, our answer really would be world peace. But first, we have to learn how to master our own inner peace. Join our journey as two best friends have simple girl talk. This is Spotlight with Alexis Kimsey and Katherine Merck. Well, hello, guys. Hi. I am back, this time with a baby. What? Life's changed quite a bit lately, and one thing that's changing is this podcast. It's still going to be all your favorite shows, Spotlight Girl Talk, but now I am adding my best friend, Catherine Merck. If you don't know Catherine, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is an all-around, I'm not going to say badass, but yeah, she's a badass, guys. She is an attorney. She's licensed in several different states. Not only that, but she's former Miss Radio America. She lived abroad. She studied medieval studies. This girl has done it all. So welcome, my newest co-host. I'm so excited. Catherine Merck. Round of applause. I am so excited, Alexis, but oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm ever going to live up to that intro. I'm so excited, first of all, that you're relaunching this podcast, but even more excited that I get to be part of it. And I can't wait. We're going to have so much fun. We have already talked about so many things that we want to talk about. And we basically, we always want to learn all the things and then talk about them. So I'm really excited for everybody else who just is super curious about the world like we are to be along this journey with us. Yes, no, for sure. And I feel like both of us, like we're ADHD, but on top of that, like we're the most curious people of all time. We'll be driving down the road together. Catherine and I are really good friends. We are twin flames by far. I think we have the same personality. We're, um, I would say overly, not overly emotional, but we're definitely invested in our emotions and we let them be known, but not in a bad way. I feel like a lot of times, Catherine, maybe you can bounce off this too. We get our feelings hurt because we're so nice and we expect people to be the same as us. So through this podcast, we're kind of wanting to experience all of our emotions. And so we're going to do it with everybody else because we are sure there's other soul sisters out there that feel the exact same way. It's just such a special thing to have somebody that understands, I think, how we experience emotions, because I like to say that we feel all the feelings. We feel everything and we feel it so deeply. And I hope for those of you that feel all the feelings to feel recognized the way that we've been able to recognize it in each other. But also we have so much fun. I think that's definitely something, whether we're just talking on the phone for what I swear is 20 minutes, but turns out is actually three hours. Or we're deep diving into something that we want to learn everything about. We have so much fun. I'm excited because I think we have so much to talk about and so much of it is just fun. And obviously I think we're funny, but hopefully the rest of you think we're funny too and enjoy our hilariousness. But really, though, I think we're hilarious, too. My husband would probably disagree. He's always stuck with us. You always say you're the third wheel, but my poor husband always is the guy in the background who's just going wrong with our weird notions and also validating them. So if you're listening, honey, I love you. We love you. Let's talk about all the randomness because this first episode is definitely going to be everything under the sun random because we have so many things right now that are interesting to us. One being right now you're watching my favorite TV show, 
of all time for the first time if I can go back and be a One Tree Hill fan for the first time and experience all the emotions. Okay, who is your favorite relationship on the show? Definitely Nate and Haley. I just love them so much. If you haven't watched this, I'm sorry, but you're missing out. And you spoilers! Right now, but there will be spoilers because I'd never watched One Tree Hill and it is Alexis's favorite show. So I had to get on the bandwagon and understand why she loved this so much. And it is wagon. Okay. Yes. For those of you that don't know, I'm from the Northwest. I grew up in Spokane. I live just North of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And I swear other people where I'm from say bag and wagon the way I do. And when I went to college, it was a running joke that I could just make people smile by saying big bag of bagels. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's so rude of me. I am so sorry, but (laughs) you. I love your little voice so much. (laughs) It was a fair point. Okay. She's on the bandwagon. Sorry. Go back. I'm on the bandwagon. (laughs) Nate and Haley are just my favorite because they're just so cute. You wouldn't think from the outside. Yeah. I want to root for the couple that got married in high school and had their baby at their graduation. But when you're in this, the emotions and then what they went through when Haley left on tour and she came back. They've really grown up together. And at the point where I am in the show, I'm on season six, I think they are just so cute together and they have so many challenges, but seeing them support each other and raise their little boy is just the most fun thing. And the relatability of them as a couple coming from different spots and growing together and making each other better, which is so much like you and Sage. We were on the same plane, but we weren't sitting by each other and literally about One Tree Hill. Thanks, United. We were texting about One Tree Hill, and I was practically in tears when Brooke gave her wedding speech to Nate and Haley because I was like, this is what I would say about you and Sage. Wait, literally, it's funny. I think that's why I like that story so much is because Sage was jock and then I was like kind of the not nerdy girl because I was a cheerleader and everything I'm like Brooke meshes with (laughs) Haley but definitely was like the girl in school that took it serious and so when Sage and I got together I was like oh my gosh like you're transforming you're like Nate and of course he watches it now with me like ridiculous but I'm also growing up when we started dating he was only 20 but no I love the show so much and I know that it's a high school sappy drama but I'm also the girl that loves like Gilmore Girls I love everything traditional I just am finishing Jenny and Georgia that just came out on Netflix which I'm sorry Georgia's a spaz but for some reason I'm like addicted to her but you need to watch that and also the Mindy Project but yeah, no, I'm sitting here talking about One Tree Hill over and over. And we said this podcast, we're going to try to keep it an hour, but let's be honest, it'll probably be longer than that. But really, we talk a lot. But my child's about to fall asleep. So let's get into some deeper stuff. Catherine, you were from Coeur d'Alene. In a case, if you guys don't know, Catherine, like I said, is an attorney. I'm a journalist. I've always had a, a passion for true crime. And something that's really been weighing on my heart is the story of the four Idaho college students that were murdered. They just caught the alleged killer and Catherine obviously is from that area. So it probably weighs even heavier on her heart. I just want to dive dive into this a little bit because it's so, I don't know why it's affecting me the way it is, but for some reason, like I've cried over this case, Uh, maybe because I identify with the girls. I was a sorority girl. I'm blonde. I was friends with Sigma Chi's like a lot of things those girls did. I've done in the age of social media 
it's just, it's eerie. The whole thing is so eerie to me. And you have a different perspective. You're right there. Your dad went to that college. Yes, we are probably 90 minutes from Moscow. And I previously worked in criminal defense. I was a public defender up here in the Northern counties in Idaho, and I actually really enjoyed it. But so I do have a criminal law background and I've worked here. Actually, we will get into this later. I've appeared in front of the judge that this case is currently set in front of. But I think that's part of why it has hit me so much is it is so close. It's local. All of the four students had a connection here. All three girls grew up just right in this area. And then Ethan's family had a cabin just north of here. Should we say the names and everything? I feel like if people aren't following this case, they might be a little confused with it. So it happened in November. Let me read it. Let me make sure I'm info. I just want to make sure that I have all the dates and everything correct before we say this. They were found stabbed to death in their home on November 13th. It was four of them. Two of them were best friends. Maddie and Kaylee were found together. And then Ethan and Zana, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Ethan actually did not live in the house. They were found together as well. So this happened right before Thanksgiving and all this stuff. It's just, it's horrifying. And when I found out about it, I knew that Catherine would have the information, like I said, because she's from this area. Um, but to some relief, they just caught the guy that they believe is responsible. So I feel like I had to like preface that a little bit because I don't feel like it's fair to sit there and talk about this if we're not going to talk about the victims too. I think that's a good point. And I think that a huge part of why so many people relate to this, why this has affected people so much is because those four victims not only could have been any of us, but they could have been any of our friends, our sisters, our brothers. Every victim has, I think, impacted me differently and they had their whole lives in front of them. I think that's another reason why this has been so emotional for so many people is Kaylee was set to graduate. You just moving to Austin. I live right by Austin. Yes. It's crazy. As Alexis mentioned, I'm a former rodeo queen. I have rodeo queen friends who are seniors at university of Idaho in sororities. And from that perspective, it, it could have been somebody that I know, knew and loved. And I think that's how the whole country feels is it could have been anyone that any of us knew and loved. And we'll get into a lot about this case, but something that I think is still really scary is there's not a rhyme or reason to why the killer chose these four victims. What was the reasoning? And I think we all want to know why, because that will enable us to justify why it wasn't us, why it wasn't our best friend. And somehow, in some way, we feel like if we understand why, we can feel safe. And I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to have that satisfaction, but I think that's part of why this is so scary. I agree. And it's, you know, the journalist in me, of course, my first question, like you said, is why, why them? But one thing I want to say, because we're both young women, like Catherine said, we've been there. We have been in college. Um, I went to school in Huntsville, Texas, which is right down the road from death row. I mean, right down the road. I can walk and throw, it's like how close it was from our sorority house is almost unsettling. Um, but at the time our house is now destroyed, but, um, anyways, so for me, it's just, I want to know why he did this, but I do want to say, if I don't say this, I feel like I'm going to blame myself. Please be careful what you post on social media. 
it's really important that you protect who you are and protect your identity and also protect not only that, but your location. Um, I know that we live in a time right now where everything is easy access, but it's also terrifying because they believe this man stalked these girls. And the part that I don't like about this is that he followed them on social media, which is also very eerie. And I know that for young women, we share everything on social media. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I am just as guilty as the next person, but I hope that if you take anything from this, it's that we care about your safety. We really want you. We don't ever want you to become a statistic. I don't, that's my main goal from talking about this. And it's obviously a very um, hard topic and a very deep topic. We're never going to understand the inside the mind or the psyche of this man, because you can't rationalize anyone that could do something so horrendous. But like some things that we found super fascinating, like Catherine said, she's right there. I find it extremely fascinating that this man probably stalked these girls. I have a feeling at some point he might've went into where they worked mad green. Um, he was a vegan. And I think that, I just think that it was an opportunity. I don't know why it was them, but I also think this man thinks he's extremely smart. And he, to me, it's almost like he's just trying to see if he could get away with it. Of course, this is all speculation. Let me put that out there off the record speculation, but it's almost like there was no rhyme or reason. So that makes it even more sadistic. Like I don't, it's just so sadistic. I don't even, it's hard to even talk about, I don't even, it just is so heavy. The whole thing. It It is. And, you know, I, I mentioned I did criminal law. I was a public defender. He currently has a public defender. It just, it's such an interesting perspective because when I, started working in criminal law, I did kind of a a deep dive into criminal psychology, the idea of incarceration, that kind of thing. And because like we talked about, we are the kind of people who deep dive and want to know everything. And it's interesting to not only talk to you about this, but also I have a, a group of friends and professors from law school that I talk to. And to me, it really has come across that he has idolized and studied past serial killers like BTK, mm-hmm. Dennis Rader, um, which he has the really weird connection. If if those of you listening don't know who Dr. Catherine Ramsland is, she is a professor where the, the suspect studied prior to going to Washington State University. And she has a very close relationship with the BTK killer, mm-hmm. Dennis Rader. Very, very scary. If if you don't know who he is, it is very creepy. Don't necessarily look him up before you go to bed. But <laughs> no. they, they wrote letters for years in which they would they played chess and they do one move at a time over the letter. She wrote his biography and then the suspect went and studied under her. On top of that, there's so many weird similarities to like Ted Bundy studying in the state of Washington. He went to school at the University of Washington. There's just a lot of a lot of things like that where I think in a lot of ways, this guy fantasized about being on that level, being immortalized and maybe playing cat and mouse with the cops, which some of these other criminals did. However, in today's day and age with technology and also with the absolute textbook mistakes he made, he he never got that far. And thank goodness he never did. You guys, this could have easily became a cold case. And the dedication from these cops, the FBI, everyone involved, it's truly remarkable that they caught this man so fast. And I'm not saying it because he was a genius by any means, but I'm saying that for the family's closure, 
for the school's safety, everything involved. Like, I'm just so thankful that they had the resources and put them in and caught this guy when they did. It was, it's remarkable. You can vouch for this. I have been on the page of they know more than they're telling us the whole time. But I read the affidavit when it came out and I am telling you (laughs) my faith in the justice system, in the police department. So I I know a lot more people know more about Moscow, Idaho than ever before because of this case, but it it is a very agricultural based community. You have Pullman where Washington state is and Moscow where the university of Idaho is. And they're just over the hill from each other. Pullman is a college with a town and Moscow is a town with a college. It's a small community. It's a good community. You trust your neighbor And for something like this to happen there is crazy. But also you look at that and you think, okay, we're in the panhandle of Idaho and, you know, we've gotten a lot more of a population in the last couple of years. We don't have a huge population. It's a more rural police department. Knowing what we know now, what this police department was doing, obviously with so much help with the FBI, I mean, they were on this guy for almost a month before they arrested him. I mean, they were hot on him and they didn't leak a peep, which I think is the really amazing part. Oh, for sure. Because I feel like this case got more internet than ever before because we're finally in an age where social media is so prevalent. If you look back at past serial killers, Ted Bundy, BTK, the guys you had mentioned, we didn't have social media then. So this stuff you read about in newspapers and maybe saw it on 60 Minutes at some point, but it's still a decade later. It's just crazy to me now. Social media has made this so popular, but it's also given a lot of jerks access to the internet to go on and just spew their opinions. But one thing this guy did that they believe allegedly was that he was going on online chat rooms and telling details and like he was so enamored with what he had done allegedly that he would go on and talk about it. And then not to mention he'd call into tip lines. He would call into podcasts about it. He was so enamored and so impressed with himself that essentially he pretty much gave himself away. So I really want to dive into that more with you because we've talked a little bit about the psychology and yes, super creepy. They think he was on all of these chats and again, be safe with social media. That is one of the scariest things about this case to me. He followed these girls, all of this, but one of the things what has come out more and more about him is he was bullied as a kid. And I think that definitely has something to do with his psychology. And you and I touched on this when we were talking about this before and kind of how this potentially could have shaped what happened. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because he was so unoriginal. Like, I hate to say this, but I, as someone that was bullied growing up, I was the girl that was bullied for my weight at one point. And so um, to hear that he, you know, essentially put in the work to get healthy and did all this, but then turned to drugs, allegedly, like, it's disappointing because there's one of two ways you could go. I feel like when you're bullied, you can give into it and become the bully, or you can learn from it and try to spread kindness based on what you went through and help other people. And he took the route completely opposite of why he took, he took the anger route. And, you know, at times it's not easy to not take the anger route because you wonder why me, but I really am disappointed that his anger festered so much that it turned into rage. And I think that the rage, he had no other outlet. And so, um, he took inspiration from guys like Monday, BTK, Elliot Rogers, 
people that were sadistic and I feel like he didn't use good role models instead of finding people that he identified with the people that took the such extreme route that led to death and carnage, which is so sad to me. Um, but look at it. The girls were in sororities. Ted Bundy went to the sorority house, as you know, BTK, like he did the cat and mouse game. Elliot Rogers did the manifesto. I feel like a lot of this stuff is going to come out later on. And he used the name Papa Roger on Reddit is what they're saying. There's just too much that goes hand in hand. And Elliot did the same thing with the sorority girl thing. Like yeah. it's just, and then like him trying to frame, they're saying that he called in tip lines and turned in Sigma Chi's because he wanted to frame the murder on these guys. Um, and as someone that was friends with Sigma Chi's, like I look at it and I'm like, it's so horrible because Ethan was a Sigma Chi. His brother was a Sigma Chi. So essentially you're, when you're in a brotherhood, a fraternity, I don't, Catherine, you weren't in a sorority or fraternity. It truly is a brotherhood. Um, and I can speak from firsthand experience. My time was a little different. Like I loved being a Zeta, don't get me wrong, but I know fraternities are way different. I was a sweetheart for a fraternity. I was with them all the time and I helped with all their events and it's so tight knit and close. Like I don't even think people understand. So for him to say that one of the brothers could have killed these people, it's horrific. It's it's truly horrific. And it's the worst thing you could say because they're family. Like they're the family they chose. And, and for I, me, it, it's just cruel. It's just so cruel. And especially when his brother was in the fraternity. Like I just. I think yeah. it's, it's textbook framing. So to go back to Elliot Rogers too, one of the things that struck me is his victims were in the same sorority as Kaylee, which is another link that I just think he studied so much and that might be coincidental, but I think a lot of this was chosen on purpose. And again, that creepy idolization of these misogynistic murderers, that's what it gets to me. You know, there's been all these rumors that he was, you know, a, he was a bully himself after he got healthy and he did not treat women well. And I definitely think he has modeled himself under these misogynistic murders. But the other thing, what you were saying with the fraternity, it was a, a framing of, I think, the overgeneralization of the people that he thought bullied him. They're the perfect. That's what I'm saying. It's like everything, like it was everything he hated about humanity in fraternities and sororities. Think about it. It was the girls that probably rejected him. It was the guys that denied his friendship. And that's the part. It's just so, and like you said, everything he did, I'm not saying this guy wasn't smart in a sense. I think he was intelligent. Everything he did was deliberate. I truly believe that. And if it is this Brian guy who did this, it was well thought out. I think that this was months in planning. As you said, it was in Washington, Ted Bundy. Like there's just too many similarities and connections there and I just think that unfortunately these beautiful souls that were taken from us wrong place wrong time and you know what we need to talk about is God bless the sweet roommate that he walked past like yes. I'm so, so thankful I'm not going to say her name on here because I just I think she needs some grace and I think she needs some peace from this but I don't know how she's going to get it honestly but Alpha David said that the killer walked right past the roommate. She walked out several times because she heard something. The first time she thought she heard the girls upstairs say someone's here. And it was late at night. I guess it was like four in the morning. So she woke up, went outside, checked, didn't see anyone. Then she heard someone say, a male voice, say to the roommate across the hall from her, don't worry, I'm going to help you. Yes. Or something like 
that. Like something so morbid, like, oh, just so creepy. And so at that time, the murder walked right past her room, you guys. And I'm sure that if you see a man in a ski mask and you know exactly what he looks like down to his bushy eyebrows, you're going to be a little terrified. There's a lot of people right now persecuting her because she didn't call the cops right away. None of us know how we would react in that moment. And I feel like God spared her life for a reason. I don't know. Like, I'm so thankful there wasn't more carnage and there wasn't more people to this because it could have easily went down. There was also another roommate that arrived that was down in the basement. So imagine waking up the next morning and everyone in your house had been slaughtered. Like essentially that's what he did. He treated them like they were animals, which are families. I just, oh man, I don't, I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed for them at this point. Absolutely. And that's, I don't know. There's that brought up so many things I want to talk about, but one of the things that really bothers me right now, again, with social media, people are being so awful to the roommate that helped identify she is doing so much to help. She is risking her own safety to bring this man to justice for the love of her friends. She has to be absolutely terrified. I think that he didn't, he might've been in shock. He might, her door might not have been open that much. I don't think he knew that he was seen until the document was produced, which is why the cops wouldn't say anything until he was in custody. And that is such a scary situation. First of all, there have been a couple articles that I thought were really interesting about shock because people have been roasting her for not calling 911 earlier. But in traumatic shock, most of us are never going to experience that level of traumatic shock in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. But your body actually generally, like your mind denies what's going on. So mm-hmm. you can see the blood and not see the blood, have no idea what is going on. And your mind essentially, in order to protect yourself, tries to rationalize it and make it make sense. So she probably had no idea what was going on, but with him being in the house and what he did, I think it was premeditated. I think there was a lot going on ahead of time. What I love is all the different ways with the DNA, with the phone pinging, how much they've learned. And they have what you call as a defender, bad facts, because they're against your client when you're defending a criminal. They have so many bad facts for this guy. But the the thing that is interesting to me is I think he thought he had planned this so well. And I think he totally lost control of the situation. People are saying he was such an idiot, all of this. He left the sheath of the knife, which, by the way, I 100% called because this guy was yeah, posting he was posting on social media. Well, who walks into a house with a fixed blade knife and doesn't have a sheath? The cops must have found the sheath. I mean, it was crazy. They knew the brand. They knew too much about the knife, but I think he lost control. And another thing that I want to talk about, because I learned so much about this while being a public defender is drug use and heroin. And heroin is so much more common than people realize. It's so much more prevalent in our communities than people realize. And he had a heroin problem. He might've done the work to get clean. I really believe, I don't know if they're going to be able to necessarily conclusively define this from my experience with crimes committed involving heroin use. I think that he was on heroin when he committed these crimes. I think that's the only way he would have the guts to do it. I'm going to be really honest with you. And the strength, that's the thing. The strength 
to to go in and murder four people. I don't know if he premeditated murdering four people. I think he lost control of the situation. They said Zana was on TikTok. And yeah. I think maybe he heard her. And unfortunately, that cost her and Ethan their life, which is, again, something that just totally blows my mind because yeah. that's so relatable. How many of us lay in bed and watch reels or TikTok? Me. <laughs> Guilty. Like, and it's this whole thing too, Catherine, like, okay, I want to play devil's advocate here. Okay. You're an attorney. You get called up to be this man's attorney. What would be your approach? Well, so this is what a lot of people don't realize. He, she, what she did in the first hearing was all because she had very limited time in which she was assigned to this case. So to give you kind of my backstory about being a public defender, this sounds silly, but this is true. As a public defender, it's a lot like you're an ER doctor. You come in and you try to stop the bleeding and you do your best for these clients. Mm -hmm. And it is so much of doing your best in somewhat very challenging circumstances. And the this attorney, Ann Taylor, is from Kootenai County, where Cornelian is. She's a public defender. And the reason there's been a lot of confusion about why somebody from Coeur d'Alene is going down to Moscow. It's because in Idaho, you have to be essentially willing to defend a crime that could have capital punishment, but you also have to do specific continuing legal education. So she's uniquely qualified to defend this kind of crime. But mm -hmm. going, going back to kind of what, what you brought up, she had very limited information going into the first hearing. Because in Idaho, you need to have have someone accused of a crime in court within a certain amount of time. People have said online, I can't believe she would ask for a limited bail. Well, she did that because she you basically are required to do certain things in defense. She didn't have all the facts of the crime. She didn't have time to get super familiar with everything before she appeared in court. How it works in Idaho, everything happens in magistrate court first. So kind of the lower court where everything goes through with misdemeanors. And then once a preliminary hearing is set and probable cause for a felony is determined at that preliminary hearing, it will be moved to district court, which is the higher felony court. So okay. that's where we are right now. And she is just trying to do everything to get familiar with what's going on. She's combing through every detail. I know I've had some conversations with my family and with friends about, well, do you think he'll tell her if he did it or not? And yeah. that could really go either way. I think I have sat in a room with clients and watched a video of them stealing in a store <laughs> and them straight up told me that's not me. I didn't do it. Criminal psychology is really interesting and there is an element of denial. You have to work really hard as a criminal defense attorney to get your client to trust you to the point to not lie to you because mm -hmm. criminals will lie to you, even if you're their attorney and you are doing everything for them. And so I don't, I don't know. I think she's trying to work through every, every fact that's in there. That's incriminating every, every hole she can find. That's what you have to do. You have to punch every hole in the argument and work backwards and see what holes she can create. Where are the questions? What's the worst evidence against him? And how could potentially demonstrate that this isn't incriminating? You know, one thing that is definitely interesting to me 
is the use of DNA evidence in this case. The DNA was only on the button of the knife sheath. Mm -hmm. And that was found at the crime scene. It was actually found next to the two girls that were in bed. But the way that they tied the DNA to him was through trash found outside his parents' house. And they identified it. What? In the neighbor's house, his parents' neighbor's house. But it's with the dad. That's what I think is an interesting thing. The DNA excludes it's, I think it's 99.9998% of the male population of earth from being his father. And it did not exclude his dad from being the suspect's father. So they're going to have to, those are some things that are going to move forward with how, at what point are we collecting his DNA? At what point are so many of these things happening? I loved reading the documents with when they got the warrants for the cell phones, when they, you know, one of the most incriminating pieces of evidence, there's the car. And then there's the fact that they pinged his phone at that location. What was it? 12 times before the crime. That's what's so fascinating to me is in the past, we've never had, would you consider, he's a serial killer. Would you consider him? I mean, he definitely, it was a mass murder. I think. You know, he hasn't, we don't know though. This is what's so fascinating to me. I think law enforcement has tied him to other crimes personally because of the way they're acting. And see, my thing that's so fascinating for me being the media nerd is that technology had a play in this case. They pinged his cell phone at several different locations where the girls were, including their house. They saw on cameras, his white Elantra driving by several different times coming back the next morning there's so much to this that technology plays a role in now and we're never like we're seeing crimes being solved by not only dna which i wish we would have this 30 years ago 40 years ago when all these other murders were going on but also with technology and i just think that's so fascinating because social media is a necessary evil but at the same time it's leading to clues to solve this so it's it's almost like the millennial age solving a murder which is interesting Yes, the way they pieced it together, the way they pieced together the ownership of the cilantro, the way they pieced that together with his phone number, were able to place him. They had multiple traffic stops of him in that vehicle prior. And mm-hmm. then that's how they were able to trace him back to Pennsylvania was the registration of the vehicle. And they so- also knew where he was because of license plate cameras. And so that's great. That's one of my favorite things was one of the license plate cameras in Colorado. And then the fact that they're saying that the FBI directed the Indiana cops. And I mean, these are things I lived in Wyoming. So I drove through Colorado all the time. I went to college in Indiana. So these are other ways where I just feel so connected to this case. But the fact that the FBI directed the Indiana police to pull him over to get closer video footage of hands. Gosh, his hands. I'm like, oh my God. So, okay, on this topic, okay, I have three main questions for you. The first question is Do you think they're going to play the clinically or the clinically insane route? I am super curious, but I'm not sure because he has said, I can't remember if it was his first court appearance in which he said, oh, I'm fit to stand trial or something. He said something so out of out of the norm, that was really interesting to me. And I think it's going to be a huge challenge to establish that with him because of his level of education. He was in a doctorate program. 
He was a TA. There were so many people that interacted with him regularly. I, I just think that that's going to be a, a high, a high hurdle if they even choose to go down that road. I okay. see where his hubris won't allow him to go down that road. He won't want that's people to think that he's anything but super smart. Okay. I totally agree with that. His ego is definitely in check. And I think he's not going to want, um, the second question is, do you think they're going to try to go after his father as an accomplice? I am so fascinated by this because I'm so fascinated by the way the criminal justice system has gone about this and the clues that they've given us to what they might know and what is going on. Because so his dad flew from Pennsylvania into Washington, into Spokane, which is my hometown. And then they drove from Moscow back to Pennsylvania. That's a huge, huge drive. And I mean, days long drive. I think it was one out one day and nine hours or something total. What fascinates me about this, first of all, okay, in what universe are you driving that drive for Christmas break and then going back to school? Was it Thanksgiving or Christmas? It was like a quick turnaround. It was Christmas. Okay. So he went back to classes. He went to class the day after the murders. And that's something interesting. I mean, I could go down so many rabbit holes in this, but he apparently was a really hard grader as a TA, started giving everybody hundreds. He engaged in all of these conversations about crimes in his classes. And when these murders were brought up in his classes, he was silent. I think those are so interesting. But what's crazy about that too is he was going in class with girls the same age, essentially as the girls that he allegedly murdered. Like that is terrifying. It's terrifying. And it's, I, I think that he was, he was just so blinded by pride that he thought by committing these murders in the next town, he wouldn't be tied to them, which is crazy. But anyway, so to drive all the way back there for Christmas break and then turn around and drive back and potentially have your dad drive back and then fly back. Why would he not have just flown? That's my first question. I think he yeah. wanted to get the car out of there, but I have questions about whether he intended to ever go back. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I want to know. But how that. do you explain that to your parents? That's my question. Did they know? Elliot Roger said on Reddit that his family had already turned them in multiple times. Well, okay, right? And so this is what I think with the dad. So he had to have brought sorry papa roger on reddit sorry yes yeah well yeah confusing though yeah cool but so i think his dad had to have brought these up to him somehow and then the cops pulled him when they pulled him over in one of the body cams the dad brought up the the shooting that had happened and there was there was a whole deal that went down where a guy had threatened to kill his roommates at WSU. The dad brought this up to the cop, which was super weird. The cop yeah. came across very uncomfortable. But then they have not informed us all of how long they were watching. Law enforcement was watching his family home in Pennsylvania where he was. It was for quite some time. And they did a no-knock warrant, which requires a higher level of probable cause in the affidavit. So, and the Pennsylvania police were involved, the FBI, but the SWAT team came in to his house at night, forced entry. They've said multiple windows were broken. So to me, that indicates either they thought his family might help him get out if they knocked. 
His family might hide him. His family or he might tamper with evidence. They might have thought he would hold somebody hostage, commit suicide. There are a lot of possibilities. But when you look back at how they've arrested other murders, it has been going to get the mail. It has not been this dramatic. When he was arrested, too, he asked if he was the only one they arrested. And my two theories on that are either he's trying to do the the classic criminal psychology of making them think it's a bigger web than it is, or that he was worried that the dad was going to get arrested as well. That's what I was wondering. And the other thing is, so my big thing of where I think they've been watching potentially the dad is they, the flight records show that they kept circling that house for hours after they'd arrested him. Which it was the dad possibly going to get rid of something. What is, what would be the reasoning to keep watching that same home? Right. And that's my thought. What if, what if somebody in the family was trying to get rid of something? There's also been rumors that one of his sisters potentially tipped them off towards him, that she had called in tips on him. Which one of the sisters also was in a horror movie about girls going in the woods crazy and being stabbed, which would have came out by the time that this man was allegedly 15 years old. So that's a pretty impressionable age to be taking your kids to the movies to watch them all going on a trip and being stabbed violently in the woods. And that's another thing I will, I will go back to saying, I mean, clearly this is hypothetical with his dad. I feel so terrible for this family too, for his, for for, I mean, his sisters, they are going to be so lumped in to a terrible situation. And that could be another reason why they decided to do the arrest at night, because in this case has so much speculation and so many people watching it that it could have put the family in danger in a different way by arresting during the day. Oh, for sure. You never know what's going to happen with society at this time. My (laughs) other question for you is, do you think they're going to see the death penalty? So they will have to obviously assess what the charges are, all of that. What they are right now are for first-degree murders and burglary with the intent to kill. I will preface this with, and I think I made this clear before, I have never defended something anywhere near this level. But how it generally works is between the prosecutor's office and the defense, there's a lot more that goes on than people realize. There's a lot more communication, especially leading up to trial, which is why a lot of cases are are settled out of court. If there's a guilty plea where there's an offer on the table from the prosecution. So for example, with a, a good one to talk about that I did a lot is marijuana in Idaho. So marijuana is illegal in the state of Idaho and college kids cannot seem to figure that out. I-90 is between Montana and Washington and people going back and forth, college kids to school, would get pulled over and have possession of marijuana. And then they'd additionally be charged with drug paraphernalia. My job as a public defender was to explain to these kids that if you challenge this and if you go forward on the possession of marijuana charge, you can lose all of your federal student loans. You can lose all of your FAFSA. Or you can agree to just plead guilty to the drug paraphernalia and take the community service and pay the fine. And we move on with our lives. There's a lot of that that goes on. And I'm not saying in this level of a case, it's going to be that kind of situation. What I'm saying is, again, this defense attorney, she's also trying to look at, can I disprove 
any element of any crime he is charged with to lower what he's charged with to something that carries a different sentence because ultimately the judge will do the sentence. I just have so much to talk about with this, but I still think when, 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 and if go to trial on this case, it will be interesting to see if it's moved to a different venue because that that's happened in fairly recent memory in Lataw County. It's been moved down to Boise because this is such a sensational case that has focused so much, so much media attention and national media attention. I think that'll be interesting. I also think it's going to be interesting to see whether he chooses to take this to trial or not. There's already so much evidence against him, according to what police have shown us. And I think that law enforcement has so much more. I, I just think there's more. And but I think he might be so proud that he yeah. decides he should go to trial. And I think, I think he wants the media spectacle. I think so too. I, as much as I hate to admit it, I think the attention he's getting from it is helping him thrive, which is why he's in all these like chat rooms and everything else. But we, okay. So on this podcast, obviously guys, this is pretty heavy today. We will give you a warning, like when we post, post this podcast and stuff, but we also need to talk about some lighter stuff, you know, like, I mean, this show, we, like I said, we want to experience all of our emotions together. Like, I think that, that this is about experiencing our emotions and exploring who we are as people. So I want to talk about some less heavy stuff for you. Of course, we're probably going to continue to talk about this case quite a bit on the show as it unravels, just because, like I said, it's so close to both of us in different ways. Um, but let's talk about like some lighter stuff, like Catherine's dating life. <laughs> lighter in that there's not a lot to talk about so it's an no. <laughs> guys Catherine is single so if you have any like really eligible bachelors um please send them my email and my instagram and i will go through them with a fine tooth comb and see if they're eligible enough for my beautiful Catherine. Like, i love how i just completely transform murder to your love life so basically what we need, my husband said, um, he said that if we were to describe the most interesting guy alive, instead of Dos Equis, Catherine would be like the Smirnoff, most interesting woman alive. She's super sweet. Um, she's extremely intelligent. As you can hear from this podcast, um, the guy's got to have a little different mind to indulge in our crime talk. Um, but yeah, good looking. She went to Notre Dame. She went to where else did you go? My gosh. To the same school, you guys, that Prince, Princess Kate and Prince William went to. Like what? I went to, yeah, I went to St. Andrews. So I studied both finance and medieval studies at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has the best medieval program in the U.S. And St. Andrews has the best medieval program in the world. So I went to St. Andrews and I was able to do both medieval studies and international economics and monetary policy. So cool. Loved it so much, but I got to meet Wills and Kate. So that was the coolest thing ever. That's another topic we're going to have to talk about too, is everything that's come out with Harry, all of his drama. We've talked about that some, but I just, I'm yes, very much team Wills. Just throwing that out there now to the world. I am too i am for sure i'm team monarchy which i hate to say it but 
what like I don't know if they call her Megan the Miserable or what they're going to call her, but the whole thing is just so interesting to me. So basically, yeah, for royals out there, like she loved Grace Kelly. So like I don't know if you're a royal and looking for a wonderful woman, um, she's also a Hufflepuff. That's worth noting. <laughs> She has a cute dog named Mac. Um, anyways, back to the Harry of it all. Let's get Harry with it. Um, he has a new book coming out. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. It came out in Spain already. And I've read all the bonkers revelations that are allegedly in this book. And what? I really, okay. Two things I'd like to point out. One, I'd like to go back and say, we talked about Dos Equis and Smirnoff. I do drink scotch and red wine. And my dog is named after scotch. His name is McAllen. Very girl. <laughs> so anyways back to Harry so I read about these revelations and they are bonkers in that honestly like I don't know if I would believe some of them if they were in a reg tabloid it's just like Harry, he cannot take any accountability for his actions he said the time where he got in so much trouble for dressing as a Nazi for Halloween yeah he said he only did it because Wills and Kate told him to. Okay, first of all, entitled little brat. Like, I'm not trying to be, oh my gosh, you guys, the nepotism is exhausting in this situation because my favorite part of this whole thing is like, do you ever want a relationship with your brother again, for one? For two, is he not going to have any defamation or liable for talking about this stuff, bashing the monarchy? Like, and even if it is true, like there's got to be something that he signed at birth with his blood, I'm sure, that says he's not going to go back. Like his mom would be so disappointed. And I'm a Diane. I love Diana. So I just like her in the situation. He says all the time that his mom would have loved Megan and like she would have been proud of the road he paved. But no, like I don't think so. Like you knew what you were getting into. And Harry, he's always been the rebel for one. And like you cannot justify dressing like a Nazi. And saying someone told you to do it. Like, you knew it was wrong. I told my parents, watch, in this book, it's going to say that Wills also called him while he was in Las Vegas and told him, you should take your clothes off and play strip poker. Really, Harry? Really? I Let's look that up right now. Harry's new book. I want to see the craziest things that they're mentioned in it. They're ridiculous. They say that he and Wills were in like a physical altercation and then Wills told him not to tell Megan about it. And so, okay. So the whole thing first with the, with the title of the book spare, this is something, and we'll definitely save a lot of this for a different episode because there is so much that I think he is preying upon, especially an American audience that doesn't understand the monarchy and the history of the monarchy. And not only, okay, not only did I study medieval studies, but this is my favorite thing to read about, to learn about. I dated a British guy for three years, spent a lot of time in the UK. I love learning about this. So, but historically, I actually wrote a paper on in the Tudor monarchy, who is the best king? What is, how do we categorically understand from a logical basis rather than looking at the propaganda, how someone is a good king or a bad king, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. one of the things that has been there since Tudor England, since medi medieval times, which Tudor is really late medieval, but anyways, is the heir and a spare concept. 
That's part of how you determine historically if a king was a good king. Did they have an heir and a spare? Because if something happens to the heir, we get situations like the War of the Roses, literally the Cousins War. Yeah. It sends entire countries into turmoil if you don't have a spare. So Harry acting like somebody, you know, Charles allegedly joked when he was born to Diana, like, hey, you did your job. I had an heir and a spare. That's like a historical joke. That's not saying Harry is any less than. Yes, you can say that obviously he was not born to be king. However, he was treated so much. And this is, people are going to think this is silly. He was raised so much like Henry VIII. Henry VIII was the youngest child. He was indulged. He was spoiled. They both have flaming red hair. He was meant to go into the church. And that's part of why Henry VIII lost land for England. He did so much that was detrimental to the country. He spent so much money, did not have an heir and a spare, created a whole church because he wanted to marry someone else. That's a whole different conversation. But- Harry was treated similarly in that he was overly indulged and he wasn't held accountable in the way he should have been. And I think that's a lot of the root of how he ended up where he is being so entitled and ungrateful. He claims to be a humanitarian and yet he brags in his book about killing people in war, but dehumanizing them and calling them chess pieces. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Everything about him screams entitlement. I think that's the part that, like, I was just reading, like, some excerpts of, you know, and, it, like, his him going on about his dad saying, who knows if I'm even your father, like, as a jab, wondering if it was Major James Hewitt, like, because they say that's, like, the former lover of Diana. It's just, like, everything on here is just, wah, wah, poor me. He begged his dad not to marry Camilla. Like, all this is just, it's just blaming everyone else. Like you said, it's just so embarrassing. And, and then that, his brother attacked him. Really? Like, yeah, he said his brother attacked him when he wanted to marry Megan. That's what my, my whole thing through the Paris tunnel where his mother died. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just, this yeah, is too much. No, I read all this and had the same reaction. And then he apparently claims that the reason why they didn't want him to marry Megan was that Wills and Kate were just like really big fans of suits. <laughs> that first of all, that doesn't even make sense. Second of all, sorry. I think Megan is a narcissist. I know that people are super mad that she was put on a list of narcissists, but I think it's true. Does that not sound exactly how Megan would justify something? Yes. Everything. On, it's just so funny. It's like, dude, like we can read through it. You're not that like, there's not that much substance to it. It's you're bitter because you're not the royal heir. You're and then your wife is bitter because she's like, dang it, I married the guy who's always going to be second fiddle. Like, and it's just so funny that he's just placing blame on everybody else. It's like it's really disappointing because, like I said, his mother's legacy. She would have never wanted this for her children. She's a very hands-on mom. Anybody that has researched Diana at all, like that woman, she would go out. Like you've seen the pictures of her racing in her stockings really racing at her child's like event i mean charles there's pictures of him also there but she was a hands-on mom she wanted to be involved and kate now is modeling her life a lot after her mm. and like i think i see a lot of similarities between the two of them i think that diana rejected a lot of the monarchy in a sense um and i think that kate is adapting to it pretty well she's doing a great job and she's a great 
role model. It's just so interesting to me that like what did Megan and Harry expect? Like, That's I don't... my thing. And I'm sorry, but when Megan says, oh, I didn't know anything about the monarchy in what universe and what rock were you living under? She has pictures of her when she was younger in front of Buckingham Palace. Oh, for sure. That just doesn't add up to me. And Harry said, I guess one of the things in the book was that he was so appalled. Kate acted offended that Megan said, I forgot my lip gloss. I need to borrow yours at a royal event. And I will tell you, for those of you what? who don't know my mom, she is <laughs> the most ladylike person. She, but she's still really fun. She's hilarious, but she is so ladylike. She knows the proper etiquette in any situation. And I, t- I told my mom this and she goes, of course she acted like that in public at an event. Oh my gosh. Like, it's so funny. Cause it's just like, <sighs> yeah, there's just different rules to that lifestyle. I mean, rules that we'll never understand when they got in, they were trained. It's a lot like I, I, people, it's so funny that Megan said she was thrown to the wolves in her new Netflix documentary. And I think about it. I'm like, I heard it was a lot like, like princess diaries where like they trained you and all that stuff. Like that's what I imagined. And maybe I'm wrong. I assume they probably had etiquette training. I assume they probably had like wardrobe training. They have people for all of that. Like and it's I, not hard. I think a key difference too, with talking about Kate adapting to the monarchy and something that I think Harry and Megan have failed to realize because Harry keeps likening Megan to Diana and saying she's more scrutinized. Well, Diana was princess of Wales. So is Kate. I think Kate and Diana have modernized the monarchy in their own unique ways, but the main difference is a supportive spouse. I think having Wills be a supportive spouse has changed everything. And I think that Harry and Megan squandered an incredible opportunity to live out so many of their humanitarian goals that they claim to want to achieve, they had a unique position to be able to do that. And I think they squandered that opportunity personally. Well, I do too. I just feel like, and it's funny for people that seem like they're such opportunists, they really squandered a great opportunity. That's my favorite part. Like, I don't know. It's, and it's so funny for you and I to sit here like on our high horse and act like, oh yeah, we know what we would do in that situation. Obviously we don't know what we'd do if we were Will and Kate or if we were Megan and Harry, let's be real. Yeah. I think I'd behave a little better. I'm not going to lie. I think you should just, I mean, uh, yes, I think behaving in a manner that befits the situation to make your family proud, or at least attempting to. The other big thing that I see out of all of this, and one big takeaway I think is trying to see the positive in other people. You can go through life constantly assuming the worst and assuming that people are treating you poorly. Often easier. Right. Instead of looking at it and trying to see their perspective, trying to see somebody coming from a positive place. Maybe the fact that the last time an American actress married into the British monarchy, there was an an abdication. So I think the big lesson for me is to look at Harry and Meghan's situation and think, okay, obviously we don't know everything, but if they could have looked at, is this person coming from a place where they care And maybe this is how they're trying to show it, even though it might be misplaced. Yeah. 
no, for sure. And I'm sure this book will, and I just think it's crazy too. Like they just had the Netflix thing drop. They have had the Oprah special, like for people that want to be private, they sure are giving us a lot of insight to their life. The actions and the words don't match to me. None of them do. None of them. Well, speaking of books, like his new book, you said it, is it already out? So I don't think it's out in the U.S. I know it came out in Spain. So that's where they've gotten a lot of the the information from. I'm reading a book I got for Christmas, actually about Charles and his life right now. So I'll report. What are you reading? What are you reading right now? It's called The King. And it's, yeah, pretty recent. I also will throw this out there. I have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. So, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've never been a fan of him. No. And I don't think most people ever have. And I definitely will put myself in that camp. I'll be honest. Uh, There's a lot of reasons. I do think he has grown up a lot. I think he took a ridiculously long time to do it. But I think he's old. I'm finally grown up. I'm running for my role. (laughs) And I like, I kind of hate to say this, but I think he has become better through, I hate to say this because she was the other woman. However, I think Camilla has had a really positive effect on him. Yeah. I think she's actually been a rock for the Royal family with everything with Harry. And I know princess Anne has a hugely positive impact. But I, I think everything with Harry has actually, in some ways, been good for Charles. Like, I think he's humbled him. More, yeah, it's humbled him. He's a little more grounded. Also, yeah. he's not like he's definitely by he's far from the bottom of the po- least popular royals right now. <laughs> yeah, literally. So you're reading the book about King right now, King Charles. I have literally been in the middle of this uh, Colleen Hoover book guys forever it begins with us or ends with us whatever and I just cannot bring myself it's just too cheesy it's like I just I don't know like I'm I love true crime books I'm not a lovely sappy book person which kind of is really weird because like in my real life like I feel like my husband and I are pretty sappy but in book world I'm like eh. like honestly a lot of time with you two as a couple you are unattainable couple goals and I mean, I love that because Sage does things like, oh, I'm going to buy a rosé bubbly on New Year's for the girls. I directly benefit for how sweet and sappy your husband is. And I am sure. very grateful for him because he treats my best friend like the queen that she is and how she deserves to be treated. You're going to find that guy soon too. We think it's going to be for this podcast. No pressure, people listening. Well, guys, so this was our first podcast, but in a few weeks, Catherine's coming in because my baby's turning one. I can't believe it. Um, she's coming in for his birthday. But before that, if those of you who don't know, my husband is a bull rider and he has been out for six months with shoulder surgery. And his first one back is actually January 18th. So prayers and goodwill to that. But after that, Catherine and I will be together in person. Person. So if you like this podcast, definitely shoot us some messages and ask some questions because we are so random. <laughs> we are. And we want to talk about whatever you all want to talk about. I mean, there's definitely going to be a lot of what are we watching? What are we listening to? What books are we reading? But also what's going on in our lives with uh, with my sweet little angel nephew turning one, Sage <laughs> getting back on a bowl. I mean, I think it's so much fun that 
we're able to not only share these life milestones with each other, but kind of share them with the world. And we want to share your milestones too. So let us know what's going on and what we can talk about that would relate and help you because we just kind of want to be your podcast friends, gal pals. So like this is girl talk. So let's yeah. let's talk. Yeah, no. So today we covered murder. We covered love. We covered royal monarchy. <laughs> what? I feel like we are super random, but that's what this podcast is. This is not unusual for our conversations. <laughs> no, basically guys, this is like you guys joining our phone call. So we hope you love it. Yes. Thank you all for listening. We cannot wait to hear from you. We hope you like it. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you soon. And Alexa, thank you. I'm so honored to be part of this and doing it with you. So excited. I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather have on. The most interesting woman. (laughs) I need, I need to do more bragging on Alexis because she is the coolest person I know. So stay tuned for next week when I tell you how cool my best friend is. Go us, we did it. Thanks for tuning in. If you rate and review, we will love you even more. 